Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, John Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. And it's pleased to be joined by my buddy Ron Wolfley, who does the color on the Cardinal broadcast, does morning drive in Phoenix, and of course uh, does such a great job. And, you know, certainly uh, we rewarded him several years ago as Seattle beat people because, you know, he was the one on a special teams play that took out Brian Bosworth. And of course, uh, we had to give him a postseason <laughs> award for that because, you know, as talented as Brian Bosworth was, covering him was a mess. Ron, hap, jo, hap, glad to have you here on Schooled with the Professor. No, absolutely, Johnny. Man, that brought back a memory right there. I can still see the fruit basket. You guys sent me all <laughs> sorts of goodies in that thing, all wrapped up. Man, I wish I knew where that basket was right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope you ate the uh, things that were in the basket. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. You know I ate it. Look at me, John. I know. That's me right now. I wish I I had it again, just so I could eat it again. (laughs) That'd be good stuff. All right. So uh, I was saying before the season, you know, based on watching the offseason, that the Arizona Cardinals were going to be the most improved team in football. Four and two, two disappointing losses, one to Carolina, one to Detroit. Are they the most improved team in football? Oh, boy, Johnny, I think it's way too early to actually call them the most improved team in football. It's amazing that they're 4-2 and two right now. And honestly, I I saw the San Francisco 49ers in week one, and I'm thinking to myself, boy, there's, that's going to be a tough one. That's one of those games you look at and you say to yourself, well, they're probably going to lose that game. Defending NFC champions um, at their stadium. Week one, very, very difficult game to go on the road and get a win. Well, they got that win right there. And then they came back and they beat Washington. And, John, I can tell you, those two games in particular, really, I started to allow myself to think, oh, oh, baby, maybe they are going to be the most improved team in the National Football League. And the reason being is because you went and you beat a team like the 49ers in their stadium, and then you came back, and, oh, here comes the woeful Washington football team, and they're playing at State Farm Stadium, and they've got Dwayne Haskins, and he's really struggling, and everything said, oh, this is going to be an easy victory for the Arizona Cardinals, and guess what? They went out and they took care of business, and they beat Washington, and I thought they beat him soundly. And I thought to myself, the juxtaposition uh, juxtaposition of those two games, the 49ers defending NFC champions and then the lowly Washington football team, and yet they took care of business in both those games. I believed, looking at their schedule, knowing that you have the, the Lions coming up on the horizon, knowing, right, that you had the Carolina Panthers. I mean, you looked at the schedule with the New York Jets, and you were allowing yourself to think, this team could be 5-0 and before they go to Dallas and play Dallas on Monday night. 5-0. and Now, if they were 5-0, and John, I'd have to say they are the most improved team in the NFL. But right now, looking at them, 3-2, and those two losses, disappointing you already said that against the lions and the panthers i don't think you can call them the most improved team not yet 
No, I, I, I can see that point. And, uh, you know, but you, you bring up a great point because it was back. I just did a column on this for the Washington Post on that we posted on Tuesday is that, uh, you know, I don't and, and you can answer this, too. In all your years of watching football, playing football, have you ever seen a year where there's more have and have nots? than what you have. And what I mean by the have-nots, you've got 10 teams, 10, with one win or less. To put that in perspective, there's eight last year at this time in week seven, and so there's 10 right now, and then you have a couple two and three teams that are byproducts of, well, of course, one uh, you know, in, in getting wins over the uh, one win or zero win teams. And so because of that, yeah. you got 12 and you saw Dallas, that's a 13th team that's not that good. And now we're starting to see, you know, the, the Jets and Minnesota starting to trade some of their players. And so what has happened is it's feeding the teams in the NFC West and other good teams wins. Johnny, this is why you're you're writing for the Washington Post, and I and I am not. Okay, are you kidding me right there? Um, that I I didn't even think of that. I had no idea that there were that many one win teams or zero yeah. win teams in the league. The haves or have nots. I like that a lot, but. Man, it really does seem to be something that would be so appropriate for 2020, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah. The pandemic and everything that has gone on right now and the fact that they didn't have OTAs, the fact that uh, they, they were doing everything virtually, uh, training camp was mitigated, totally controlled, shortened, truncated, any way you want to call it. Um, the fact they had no preseason games, I Man, it's just so weird. It's such an odd situation right now. So when I hear you say that, there's the haves and the have-nots, and I didn't even think about that. I really did not, but it seems so appropriate for this year. No doubt. And, of course, what you're seeing, and no no division sees it better than the NFC West. I mean, you're taking on an NFC East that's the worst division in football history. Right now, 2-15-1 uh, in non-division games. You're seeing an AFC East that basically is a two-team type of race, but, you know, the Jets are winless and bad. I mean, Buffalo's good. Right. New England, you're still trying to figure out. And then, you know, you can see that, you know, Miami, you know, they can be a byproduct of, you know, winning against some of the have-nots, but they're not all that good. And so, like, for example, Seattle rolls off a 5-0 and start in non-division games. You know, they faced good quarterbacks, but they didn't face a winning team, you know, because with New England dropping to 2-3, and three, you know, that, that was probably the best team that they played, but, you know, they had good quarterbacks, but they're already 5-0 and in non-division games, and they're only tough division games, non-division games are going to be, you know, taking on Philadelphia on the road, which may not be hard, and then Buffalo on the road in a couple weeks. Right. Unbelievable, Johnny. Here comes the talk show host in me right now, okay? I know this is your podcast. I know that it is, but here comes the talk show host in me. I I have to ask you, what is going on up there in Seattle? What is going on in the Emerald City? How, How... where is this explosion of offensive football coming from that doesn't look like the Seattle Seahawks offenses of past? Mm-hmm. Well, what's happened is that uh, a couple things. First, in the case of Russell Wilson, who continues to get better and better, I mean, he's having the MVP season that's not happened for him in a year. The big theme this offseason was let Russ cook. 
And what that means, and you watch them in so many games, uh, you know, where it'd be in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden he picks up the game, you know, runs, passes, has the fourth quarter comebacks. Well, the thought was start it earlier. And he was even pushing this to start it in the first quarter. And so he starts the season out, you know, throwing more on first down, which he didn't do, just handing off on first right. or second down. And so uh, for the first few weeks of the season, he was the number one quarterback rating on first down passing. He's now been able to raise the tempo in the first three quarters of the game to a point where just about in every game, they've had somewhat of a double digit lead. Now they didn't necessarily early in the Minnesota game because Minnesota played, you know, a cover two zone and they couldn't get the ball deep, which he's so good at doing and had to keep throwing underneath stuff and couldn't get thing going until the third quarter. But letting Russ cook has been the key and the development of DK Metcalf. I mean, DK Metcalf has come on uh, and is having a Pro Bowl season, and now he's technically become the number one receiver on this team. You know, particularly when Russ needs a big play, he goes. He still has Tyler Lockett, but he goes to DK Metcalf. Metcalf's on pace for almost a 1,600-yard season. Oh, my goodness, that is a gap. Somebody give me the handkerchief to cover my mouth. That is unbelievable right there. But I'm just watching it, and it's not like the guys can't run the ball. It's not like the Seahawks can't run either, right? Because it's just that you, you guys are throwing the ball, and it's like chunk play after chunk play. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. Well, really, and again, and you watch part of it in the blowout win for Arizona against Dallas, <clears throat> and what Seattle faced in, you know, there's cornerback issues in Dallas, cornerback issues in Minnesota because their top three cornerbacks are gone. Arizona, Atlanta had, you know, some cornerback issues because, you know, they were Olivier uh, Oliver uh, is not good on the one side, and A.J. Terrell was just making his first start. And so in those games, Russell just attacked, attacked, and attacked, and were able to get the big plays and, you know, get those double-digit leads. Right. It's pretty well, interesting. Hey, so tell me about honestly, what's going I, I, on with Kyler Murray. I mean, you know, yeah. he looks to be one of the next great quarterbacks, and he's still there's an inconsistency that's emerged there. You know, it's so weird, Johnny. It really is. I was just talking to Brian Greasy about this very thing today, actually talking to him. And Brian Greasy brought up this really, really good point that a lot of times when you've got this new receiver, a guy like DeAndre Hopkins coming in here, you'll try to force an issue maybe. Maybe it will, it'll be a situation where you're really not going through your progression as much. You're looking to him immediately and maybe your feet are all over the place because of that. Maybe you're your form is a little out of whack. Maybe your technique is not nearly nearly as solid. I thought it was really a, a good observation by a former quarterback himself. I will say that there's no doubt about it. Kyler has been inaccurate this year when you compare it to last year. Last year, John, there was nobody that would have looked at Kyler Murray and watched Kyler Murray play the game of football and say, oh, my goodness, um, that guy's inaccurate. That's an inaccurate quarterback. Now, did he miss throws from time to time? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But I think every quarterback will tell you that he's going to miss a throw from time to time. The accuracy issue was never, ever brought up with Kyler Murray last year. And this year, it has been. There have been situations where he has been inaccurate and looked inaccurate. 
Now, um, I would say they're few and far between, but we didn't see that last year. We did not see them. We, we saw them make a bad decision here and there last year. We saw them miss some throws from time to time, but not like overthrowing Larry Fitzgerald on Monday Night Football when he's wide open in the back of the end zone. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I saw that. Or not, John. You did? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that I think, is exhibit A. I, I would tell you right now, if he hits Larry Fitzgerald on that throw, I think everybody okay, all right, everybody just relax. Yes, a couple of inaccurate throws. There's no doubt about a couple of dry patches in certain games, and, but all is well. He's going to be fine, but when you see him overthrow a guy that wide open for a touchdown, you have to wonder what is going on. I'm not worried about Kyler Murray. I, let me just get that out of the way and tell you this right now. I believe Kyler Murray is going to be a great player. I'm not worried about his accuracy issue, and it's because of 2020. It's because of all the reasons we've already talked about. What a weird Teddy Wampus year this has truly been. Just misaligned from the very beginning, the pandemic, all of this lack of, of getting any kind of rhythm going in the off and even training camp and the, the way that training camp was reduced and cut down in practices and DeAndre Hopkins not practicing a lot. I'm not worried about Kyler Murray, but having said that, he has been more inaccurate this year than he was last year. Do I think it's going to be a problem going forward? I do not. I think he's going to figure this thing out. The one thing he's still doing is impacting games in a huge way, impacting games with his legs, impacting games with the threat of running Kyler Murray, impacting games the way Russell Wilson continues to impact games, where he pulls the ball down on third and ten and runs for 11 yards and converts with his legs. I cannot tell you how we talk about it here all the time. Here in Phoenix, Arizona, how many times did we see Russ pull the ball down on third and seven, third and eight, third and ten, third and twelve, and whatever it was, convert with his legs and move the chains. Just, it's so demoralizing to watch that happen. Well, I think to some degree, you can say the same thing about Kyler Murray, watching him pull the ball down and run it. you got to remember, this is a guy who's running a legitimate 4-3. This guy can flat out fly. And, John, they've already called, in my opinion, at least this is just the impression I have. I don't have the facts to back this up. But they've already called more called runs, designed runs, for Kyler Murray this year in six games than they did all of last year. And they're not afraid to run him. He's really, really good getting down. This is a guy that needs to make better decisions. There's no doubt about that. And hopefully those decisions and making sound decisions will clean up the accuracy issues. And we'll see none of this going forward. But for the most part, Kyler Murray has played very, very well, in my opinion.
wrapping it up here, talk to me about the defense, because obviously that was going to be the key to the season. You know, and of course, uh, the defensive numbers have been good. At one point, it was a top 10 type of defense, and I think it's still in that range. But now, no Chandler Jones, and Vance Joseph has done a good job increasing the blitzes and all that stuff. Where is this defense, and how good is it? Okay, we're going to find out how good it is based on how they play against the Seahawks. That much I will tell you right now, because they haven't played, they haven't faced anything like the Seattle Seahawks. Week one, of course, they faced Jimmy G and the 49ers, but you know the 49ers are more really about running the ball. Their running game is really, really important. They use a lot of play action to throw the ball off of that. Plus, they did not have Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel in those, that first game. So it was easier for the Cardinals. The Seattle Seahawks represent a, a caliber of offensive football that this defense has not seen until this point. You're right. They lost uh, Chandler Jones, which is a massive loss for this team. I, I, I can't think of two other guys that would be bigger losses uh, than Chandler Jones, maybe Kyler Murray, of course, maybe DeAndre Hopkins. But Chandler Jones is right there in how he impacts his defense. It's not just physically going out there and the tangibles that he brings to the field. It's also the intangibles that Chandler Jones has. And I, I loved what I saw out of Vance Joseph. I thought it was his best game as a coordinator since he's been here on Monday night against the Dallas Cowboys. I know it was Andy Dalton, and it wasn't Dak Prescott. That was a big difference, no doubt about it. But the Cowboys still have an awful lot of talent around Andy Dalton. And I thought that Vance Joseph did a great job dialing up five-man pressure packages and going after Andy Dalton, and sometimes even bringing six, sometimes even going with a blitz and bringing six and going after Dalton. But I thought he, he really shined in the five-man pressure packages going after Andy Dalton. And the defense played very, very well. He, he generated pressure via scheme instead of lining up Chandler Jones and saying, you're just better than the tackle trying to block you. Go get the quarterback. So I think that's the half rest of this defense is complex. Pressure packages um, not is to do to generate the kind of pressure need in order to hold off the secondary. Ron Wolfley, always great talking to you. Too bad that uh, you know because of the pandemic and that I won't see you at the game. I'll be doing the Cardinals sidelines, believe it or not, from uh, here at my house, which is very unusual. But of course, it's an unusual year. But it's always great to talk yeah. to you. And thanks for joining us on Schooled with the Professor. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with a Professor.